Welcome to this third 2022 preseason edition of Bruce Monin's Computer Points Podcast. I'm Bruce Monin, your host. Later, we will have our co-host, executive producer, and chief researcher, Rebecca Monin, joining us. But for the moment, before we get started on football, this, of course, is being recorded during the final week of the Tour de France. And as people who have listened to this podcast through the years know, that is where all of my time goes in the month of July. At the time of this recording on Monday, the race leader is Jonas Vingago, who right now is definitely the most popular athlete in the country of Denmark. And I briefly wanted to bring in my oldest daughter and her husband, Alexandra and Bryce Trumbull, who recently visited Copenhagen in Denmark to watch parts of the first couple of stages of the tour. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We will start with Alex because I have properly brainwashed her. As a child, the tour was on every day for the month of July, all day long. I made her watch. I made her select a Tour de France fantasy cycling team. And I even took her along to France to watch part of the tour in the Alps on two different occasions back in 2006 and 2010. So Alex, from your point of view, how did it compare seeing the first stage or two up in Denmark? In some ways, it was really similar. It was the same amount of, I don't know, the same, a lot of infrastructure associated with the tour. It was really cool. I mean, it was the first time we'd been to, to Copenhagen. So getting around the city was not hard, especially in finding the tour was not hard because they were so excited. There were signs everywhere. It's like, okay, go this way. <laughs> And you'll find a tour and there are maps in the subway saying, oh, this is how you can, this is how you can get around town if you're visiting for the tour. So very convenient. It's felt maybe similar to like Alpe d'Huez, maybe not quite the same as Alpe d'Huez level of excitement, but the amount of festivities everywhere we went, there was a lot of crowd, a lot of extra stuff going on related to see the, um, the tour peripheries. So we did see the first stage, which was a time trial. So that was really neat because we could, it was all the start and the finish were nearby. So we could see the finish line and then we could walk a couple blocks and go see the start line and see different portions all at the same time without having to go very far. And as I imagine most people can, can guess, when you go to see the Tour de France in person, you don't really see much of the race. They just kind of fly by you. The fun part is all the stuff that goes on around it, all the people, all the advertisers, all the infrastructure, as you said. It's really a quite the circus. Agreed. Yeah, that's true. It's a <laughs> lot. So Bryce, you've never been to see the tour before. No one brainwashed you as a child, right? Nope. <laughs> nope. That's, yeah. <laughs> so what'd you have to think about it? Um, it was really cool. I I wanted to go see it because since I've been dating Alex, I have now been exposed to a lot more of the cycling community and tour and everything. And so I, I've been trying to follow it a lot more recently, but it was really cool. Like seeing the, the time trial where you could see everyone start and a lot of the Danish riders, uh, like everyone was very excited about all of them. Like they were just chanting everyone's names as they were coming up to the start line and getting ready to start. So that was really cool to see. 
And then the seeing the tour or like just the regular stage start was very much like you see everything go by and there are definitely as many, if not more like support vehicles and other cars and, and motorcycles and everything than there are riders in the tour. Like, so you could see all of them go by for like, I don't know, 20 minutes before you get the probably more. Yeah. 10 seconds of the riders going by and then another 15 minutes of the caravan and the, like all the support cars with all the extra bikes and everything. I can remember from our trips over there, it's quite the, uh, quite a production. And I would say you might even be underestimating when you say twice as many vehicles <laughs> as there are bike riders. It's a, uh, for a bicycle race, it is quite the uh, <laughs> gas guzzling event. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it felt more blocked off than when we went somehow we managed to walk up onto the podium what that one time on Altuas we were we we walked up there and we talked to reporters and commentary people like we got pictures with Phil Liggett yep I don't know if we could have done that oh there there's like special VIP areas that were like gated off and you had to have special badges to get into and I don't well we didn't go during off hours but even in the lead up before, there was no way we could get anywhere near the the starting stage on the second day or the finishing stage on the yeah. first day because there were so many people there. Well, part of that was you're in Denmark. It's well known that when the Tour de France leaves France, those other countries are so excited that the crowds are usually four or five times bigger in those countries than they are when it's in France itself because, you know, it goes through France every year. Yeah, that makes sense. We were also at the stage start. I guess you were at the stage finish, probably on Alphabase. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was our claim to fame when we were at Alp Duez near the stage finish back in 2006 when we caught Phil Liggett going to the restroom and made him stop to take a picture with us. <laughs> I think he said he was on a coffee run, but I got a feeling he was a, he looked pretty anxious to get moving on. So <laughs> and yeah, and then we got to go stand on the podium afterwards and act like we just won the stage. Yeah. And that's probably all much more restricted. Even I wonder if it was before COVID or not, or if that's a, uh, just yeah. a security thing these days. It was interesting. So that we picked the start for the second stage because we were staying in Copenhagen for a couple of days. We didn't want to have to pick another hotel or something at a smaller town somewhere along the route. But a lot of people thought that. So that that town was like the end of the line on one of the main subway metro lines. So we were like, we're going to leave early enough. We'll get to there two or three hours early. We were one of the first stops from the central station heading out of town and we filled up the train at our stop. And then each stop, more and more people tried to cram onto this train. Yeah. <laughs> and we finally got there and it was cool. We could walk walk the route and find all the fest- festival grounds. And then we're like, oh, we want to get back to the city to keep touring the city, go visit a yarn store before it closes and everything. So we'll pick a spot to watch the right race go by back near the train station. And then when <laughs> the race went by, we're like, well, we should probably head back to the train station. And it was again a zoo of people trying i think there are a lot of people trying to go farther down the line yeah so they could see see yeah later on the stage whereas we were trying to go back to the city we managed to get on the butt on the train get a seat back to on the first train but 
there was a long line. It looked like people continuing along the race route, maybe. They were certainly very excited. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had, had the opportunity. I'm hoping to maybe do that myself again one more time in the next few years. For now, I'll live vicariously through you two. And thanks a lot for filling us in here before we get on to football. Our pleasure. You're welcome. And by the way, this part of the podcast, this Tour de France update is brought to you by the Burger Boys Bike Gang. If some Thursday morning you're out and you see a group of 70 to 80 year old guys wearing lime green shirts with the burger beer label on the back, that would be the Burger Boys Bike Gang riding on a bike path near you. Some days they start in Lock 2, some days they start in cold water, some days in Montezuma. And for you Southern listeners, they even get down to the Piqua, Troy, Tip City, Xenia bike path. So if you see those guys, watch out for them. Be careful. And if you see someone wearing a University of Cincinnati biking outfit with them, that would be me tagging along. Now that we are moving back to football, it's time to bring in Rebecca online. Ooh, is that the new studios, Rebecca? <laughs> yeah, whole new studio. Very echoey. Might need to get either more furniture or that weird like egg carton foam to put on the walls and make it less loud. But yeah, I'm in the purple room. I say it looks very purpley. It's very purple. We briefly mentioned in the last two podcasts that normally every two years, the Ohio High School Athletic Association checks the enrollment count of all the schools with high school football teams in Ohio. However, like many things, due to COVID, the Ohio High School Athletic Association delayed this check for a year. So since it has been three years since the last enrollment count, several schools will be changing divisions this year. Yeah, I would guess that has potential for a, a pretty drastic change in some schools. I was surprised that we found only one school that we are covering that moved two divisions, but quite a few that moved one. And we'll try to highlight them as we go along. Ooh, a little teaser. <laughs> so we are following a few less teams this year, probably still too many, but a few less teams this year, but we still have many, many regions to watch closely. Now, I have a, a bone to pick there, actually. Okay. A few less is not grammatically correct. A few less. We have fewer. We have fewer teams. They're countable. <laughs> this is a little grammar lesson for the listening population. I need to share my grammar knowledge, otherwise I'll get irritated and itchy inside. If something is countable, it's fewer or more. If something is abstract and not countable, it's less or more. More is much nicer, but... I probably knew these things at one time, but as I've become a older, more crotchety man, I tend to care about it much less. It's a weird thing, because I don't care about grammar from a rules basis, like throw out the rules if you want to but sometimes I internalize the rules and then whenever somebody breaks them it irritates me in the back of my mind it just feels wrong it makes it very easy to edit papers because it's like this paper feels wrong but I can't tell you why <laughs> anyway we should of get back to football <laughs> of course by now you've realized I did that on purpose just to get you fired up for this podcast I you know I doubt that but I appreciate the effort Anyway, right. we've got fewer teams this year. Yes. So maybe we won't have an, an hour and a half long episode as mom has frequently complained about when we do this one. Yes, that is the goal. <laughs> and speaking of which, after consulting with her, we have decided to break this up into two episodes this year. Oh. We will just preview the teams in divisions two, three, four, and five in this episode. 
We will preview Division 6, 7, and our eight-man football teams in a couple of weeks after I hopefully return from successfully representing West Central Ohio at the World Board Gaming Championships. <laughs> You're allowed to call it the World Board Gaming Championships because you got a British guy a couple of years, right? <laughs> uh, and we have a crew of five from Finland that come in most. Yes. There you go. Big leagues. I noticed we're not reviewing uh, Division One at all. Is that because they're so big they don't move or because we don't generally follow them? Because we have no Division One teams in the West Central Ohio area. They're all that, down in yeah. Dayton or up in Toledo or over in Columbus, places like that. So we can just skip that whole division until state championship week or so. Sounds good with me. Now, several years ago, I had some time on my hands and I did a deep statistical analysis to try to figure out how best to predict how many computer points each team will score in the following year. And I came up with a couple. It was kind of disappointing. It turned out the most obvious way to predict how well a team does is how well they did the year before, which is way too easy. (laughs) There's got to be some trick to it. But I found a way that was slightly more accurate looking at the data from the last four years. We will not go into the details here, but I am going to use that predictive data to divide all the teams in our regions into three different categories. One we will call the likely playoff teams. That are teams that are predicted to have twice as many points as what is needed to qualify for the playoffs. Makes sense. Our next batch will be the possible playoff teams. That will be anyone that has more than half of what is needed to qualify for the playoffs. So if you need 12 points, they're predicted to get six or more. That seems like a pretty big range of teams if you're going from half the number of points to double the number of points. And it is. That probably will be our largest category. But then again, it is high school football. You want lots of teams to be possible playoff teams now, right? True. Especially with our uh, expanded playoff numbers. Which leaves us with the unfortunately necessary but unhappy category of unlikely playoff teams. These are teams that were predicted to have less than half the needed points to qualify for the playoffs. Now, I need to emphasize here, this is just a numerical thing to kind of give us an idea of which teams to watch out for and which ones might be having a little trouble. I personally disagree with several of these, but there are no opinions in these. This is just numbers for now. Because we get in, in trouble theory, if we get opinions, right? Yeah, in theory, there's no opinions in math, but boy, you can skew the results with presentation. That was like a whole week of classes when we got into statistics in college because they had to bring up they had to bring up the challenger data the challenger the the rocket the spaceship that famously exploded with tragic loss of life they went back to the numbers to see if it was an okay condition to fly that day and statistically the graphs that they presented everything looked okay and within normal bounds but if you blew out the graph a little bit Turned out the little area they had focused on was a a little batch of outliers, and you blew it out, and the the statistical data point for the day they wanted to fly was um, in the danger zone for that uh, the little O-ring in the fuel system that caused the explosion. So we spend a lot of time with data presentation and the ethics of graphs and numbers. so. So in other words, the data said overall it was statistically a good day, 
But for one little part, it was statistically a bad day. And if that one little part goes, everything goes anyway, right? Correct. Yeah. Understood. But political pressures also, they had already pushed back the start, the flight day by a lot and wanted to get it done. So politics and presentation can skew your numbers. Always keep that in mind. All right. Well, it's a good thing I'm not running for office here. So for many reasons. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) All right. Let's start. Big schools first, as usual. Let's start division two. Okay. Okie dokie. We're going to look at region eight. There are 28 teams in this region. Taking a look at it, I predict it will take between four or five wins if you want to make the playoffs in this region. Of course, that would vary depending on who you beat, as (laughs) always. But on average, four to five wins are what's going to be necessary here. Our likely playoff teams we are following include Piqua and Troy. By the way, Troy is supposedly upgrading their stadium so that it matches like Piqua and Sydney. We'll have three good enough stadiums, three good enough. We'll have three stadiums (laughs) there that are good enough that they could host the state championship games if they ever felt like putting in a bid. They have enough seating to handle the crowds that show up at the state championship games right now. So that'd be kind of fun. You think the state championship games could ever switch from being all in a centralized location to being spread out across the state? Well, they're not in a central. They're all in Canton now. They're in the corner of the state. That's fair. Yeah. Well, they they have problems there if one location is if one game goes to triple overtime or six overtimes or whatever. That would never happen. Or whatever that St. Henry Mogador championship game went two years ago. (laughs) All the other games have their times adjusted because you have to finish the game, get the teams off the field, get the other teams on the field to start up. The way they used to handle that was they would switch the games between Massillon and Canton. So one game be a Massillon, the next game would be a Canton. They could do the same thing here. You could have Division 7 play at Sydney, Division 6 play at Piqua, Division 5 play at Troy one day, start over the next. Not that there's any talk of any such thing happening. Just a thought for the future. Yeah, that would have benefits. But also, it's kind of fun to go to the stadium on the day of three games and just sit there and watch three different divisions play their best without having to leave your seat. It helps concession sales also. Oh, yeah, I bet it would. Anyway, back to Region 8. We have two other teams we follow in there. We'll put them in the possible playoff teams category. One would be Sydney, as we mentioned, nice stadium in Sydney. And the other is Lima Senior, which is also not that bad of a stadium up in Lima. Division 2 gives you some funds to play with, that's for darn sure. Yeah. Now, before we go any further, I need to mention we had a sponsor for the cycling portion of this podcast. We had a sponsor. Yes, we did. I need to mention that this football portion is sponsored by Bud's Pizza in Minster, Ohio. One of the best places I know to get good Ohio tavern-style pizza. Now, me personally, I usually skip lunch on Wednesday. Then around 4 o'clock, I order a 9-inch double pepperoni pizza cooked well done. You know, I like it when that cheese that flows over the edge of the crust gets a little crispy. So, Rebecca, what's your favorite order when you go to Bud's Pizza? (laughs) (laughs) legitimately burgers i enjoy i usually go for caesar wrap which isn't what you'd get at a a pizza place but it's it's pretty good but consistently my go-to is the 
Do the combo basket of fried vegetables. Get you some fried zucchini, fried mushrooms that I give to mom, fried pickles. There's got to be more in there. Cauliflower. The cauliflower is also very good because it's been deep fried. There's nothing that makes vegetables more edible than breading them and deep frying them in oil. True. It's very good. Moving on to Division 3, we actually have three different regions we're watching there. Region 10 has 26 teams. Again, I predict four to five wins will be needed to make the playoffs. We are only following Defiance in this region. They are a possible playoff team, but boy, they're really close to being an unlikely team. They are, they've had a tough couple of years, but it only take about one or two more wins more than, more than normal, and they'll be right there in the playoff hunt. Moving over to Region 11, we also have just one team there, Bell Fountain. This is a tougher region. It might take six wins to make the playoffs here. So we have Bell Fountain down as a possible playoff team. They have a big week two game against Coldwater, which could help them out in getting that playoff berth. If they win it. If they win it. Always the key, right? Mm-hmm. Coldwater is typically a hard one to win against, even if you are three divisions higher than them. Only two divisions this year. Oh. And we will get to that later. And next we have Region 12. We can call this one of our WBL regions here. 27 teams, but I think it'll only take four to five wins to get in the playoffs. Our likely playoff teams here would be Wapakoneta and Tip City Tippecanoe. Our possible playoff teams include Lima Shawnee and Vandalia Butler and Greenville over in Dark County. Ooh. And our unlikely playoff teams, Elida and Salina, who've had some down years lately. They've been kind of hanging out near the bottom of the WBL standings lately. Moving down, Division 4. Moving on down. Region 14. We have 26 teams here. This looks like a fairly middling region. Should take about five wins to make the playoffs. Uh, St. Mary's actually drops down into this division from Division 3 last year. Huh. I guess I never realized they were in Division 3. Yep. They used to have to fight with Wapakoneta up in Region 12. This year they moved down. And instead they'll have a few other... WBL teams to uh, contend with. Our likely playoff teams are St. Mary's and Van Wert. Mm. Our possible playoff teams, Wasion, Napoleon, Brian, Lima Bath, and Kenton. And we also have one team here that is unlikely to make the playoffs. That would be Ben Logan. They actually just moved up from Division 5 along with Lima Bath this year. Always a little tougher when you move up a division to make the playoffs. Sure is. But I see our our bell curve distribution of teams is holding out strong. Absolutely. More in the middle, a little less on the edges, right? Mm -hmm. You don't suppose that might be why I set the parameters where I did. (laughs) I think maybe it was. (laughs) Get Get your three sigma on either side. I'll just nod my head and pretend I really care what signals <laughs> mean. But, in, in this case, I think your three sigma might be a bit extreme because you're supposed to get 95% of the, the data within three sigma, and that would not be helpful in this situation. So maybe it's just one sigma. Yeah, I think a we're good, a one sigma type of pod. Good 60%. Yeah. <laughs> Alex will probably have more opinions on that than I would. She does yeah. this sort of quality statistical analysis as part of her job. But I think you would agree this is definitely not a Six Sigma type of podcast. No. One Sigma. No, we're very much 
uh, we're much more relaxed. <laughs> All right, moving on to Region 16, the southwestern region of Division 4. 25 teams here, and this one looks a little tougher. Probably takes six wins to make the playoffs here, which that sounds really bad. There's 25 teams. I mean, 16 get in the playoffs, nine don't, and you still might need six wins to get in the playoffs. A bunch of really good Cincinnati Division 4 teams? But yes, I believe you're going to find there are many very good Cincinnati and Dayton area teams in this region. Usually most of those Cincinnati teams hang out in Division 1, but for some reason there's a good batch of them in Division 4 this year. But we will not be following Cincinnati area teams other than to see how it affects our West Central Ohio squads. For us, we have Tip City Bethel actually moved up from Division 5 into this region. We are only following a possible playoff team in St. Paris Graham, who I will get to see in person week two when they play Minster. Ooh. Looking forward to that one. And we also have Urbana and Tip City Bethel, who are considered unlikely to make the playoffs this year. So it was an especially bad year for Bethel to move up a division. Mm-hmm. And that brings us down to Division 5, the last division we're going to look at today. We'll start with Region 18, the northwest corner of the state. 2018 is one of the highest number of teams out there. And I predict this may be the toughest region to make the playoffs hmm. in the state this year. Is that because of the number of teams or they're all really good? Mostly they're just really good. I'm showing six to seven wins are going to be needed to make the playoffs. Oh my. Now we're starting to get to where we have a lot of teams we follow here. We have Archbold, Bluffton, Coldwater, Delta, Liberty Center, and Tenora all moved up from Division 6 into Division 5 this year, just in this region. And Spencerville actually moved up from Division 7. Oh, boy. They are that's one, a leap. That's our one school that has moved two divisions that we follow. By the way, I talked to someone who actually knows the town of Spencerville. I asked him, hey, is a big changes happening in Spencerville? They said, absolutely not. So I did a little research, found out they currently have 150 boys and 103 girls for their enrollment. So something happened in Spencerville. They got, they have all boys at the current time. Something fun was in the water 18 years ago. I guess that was an interesting little statistical oddity. I, I imagine there's probably no explanation for it other than stuff happens. Yeah. Weird. I imagine their girls are probably in whatever the lowest division is in sports and their boys are different, which means our buses have to go different places for track meets. <laughs> I'm sure they love that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But anyway. I can't imagine going through high school with even more boys. <laughs> Sounds awful. <laughs> but good for football. So when I was in school in my grade school days that used to divide us up into three groups for half of the day my group always had approximately six boys and 24 girls in it (laughs) (laughs) oh boy it made square dancing and music class a little awkward yeah what you gonna do (laughs) yep so anyway our likely playoff teams in region 18 really I only really? <laughs> really? Huh. <laughs> Just... All those teams we follow and our likely playoff teams are yeah. Archbold. Just Archbold. Just Archbold. Now here comes your bell curve. 
It's a tough region. Yep. Possible playoff teams. I have Tenora, Ottawa Glandorf, Liberty Benton, Indian Lake, Coldwater, Spencerville, and Bluffton. Hold up there. Yes. Coldwater? Coldwater. They, did they do bad last year? No, they did not. This is sort of where I expected to get the most disagreement if anyone looks at this, because I checked. I don't know exactly how many straight years Coldwater's been in the playoffs, but I know they have been in the playoffs every year this century. <laughs> so we think they ought to be a pretty good lock, right? They were state runner-ups in Division Six last year. Mm-hmm. But remember, as I said, this may be the toughest region to make the playoffs. Coldwater Harder to get locked moved, in, apparently. Coldwater just moved up a division. So they're up in Division 5 instead of in Division 6. Their first game of the season, they play Kenton. Kenton went 0-10 last year. Not a lot of points there. When they get to their MAC games, there is not another Division 5 team in, in the MAC. They're all Division 6 and Division 7. Not a lot of points there. I got you. I got you. Um, there'll be some. I thoroughly expect they will probably make the playoffs. And it wouldn't surprise me if once they get in, they win the region. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to be the top team in computer points in this region. I almost guarantee it. They could go 10-0 and 0 and they might they would probably not be one of the top couple of teams in this region. Gotcha. So officially, they're in the possible playoff teams category. Personally, I'd, I'd probably bump them up myself. But, <laughs> but that's just me. And that leaves our unlikely playoff teams. They're mostly from farther north, Delta, Liberty Center, and Swanton. I don't like seeing Liberty Center and that's Liberty Center now. That seems <laughs> unlikely, but been a tough couple of years. If they don't get into the playoffs, how are we going to talk about the nippert of the north every episode? I know. It just it throw, it's going to throw <laughs> me off. It's going to mess up the whole season. <laughs> we have to have our running phrases. Speaking of which, I, I really if... ought to get to a game there sometime. But... <laughs> yeah. I'm just it usually... wouldn't be that hard to do. Well, I'm usually busy on Friday nights. True. They need True. to play on a Thursday or a Saturday or something. That seems a little more difficult. Yes. I was just thinking if we had any um, attentive listeners, they could probably develop a pretty good drinking game based off of what phrases we keep saying over and over again. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I've been hearing about a couple of good such games for watching Tour de France coverage, but I will not oh, I bet. details of that here. So Every time they detour to show you a chateau? Every time they mention that Sepkus is from Durango, Colorado, because it's fun to say Durango, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as in on the, uh, the writers this year, but I'm sure there's some pretty good nicknames going around the batch, too. Oh, yes. But back to Division 5, let's head down southwest to Region 20. There are 26 teams currently in this region. I think it only take five wins in this region. All the good teams went to Region 18. Region 20 is a little bit softer. Might be a little easier to get to the playoffs here. Not to say there's not still good teams in Region 20. Oh, there's some very good teams there. Just the uh, teams down at the cut line for the top 16, I would say, are not as good as they are up in Region 18. Hmm. I guess we'll find out later in the season, won't we? Sure will. Milton Union has dropped down from Division 4, while Miami East and Jamestown Greenview have moved up from Division 6. Not unexpectedly, that team that moved down from Division 4, Milton Union, is one of our likely playoff teams. 
along with Preble Shawnee. Jamestown Greenview looks to be a possible playoff team, and Miami East need to do a lot better than they have the last couple of years, let's just say. They might have a tough road ahead of them. They probably do. History says they do, but you never know when things turn around. They might have a future NFL quarterback just waiting to go there this year. It'd be kind of fun, actually. Yeah. I was just reminded of a uh, infamous quote from a not very good TV show called Riverdale. I could not tell you the plot of it if I tried, but it's in theory high school based. And there was some plot line where there was some mystical, magical stuff happening. And there was a line where the main character was like, sure, they're a wizard or something, but they'll never know the epic highs and lows of high school football. There you go. And it was, it's <laughs> astonishing. And it's a great quote out of context, but boy, it's a weird show to put it in. <laughs> there you go, folks. Riverdale, only if you're extremely bored. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's on the CW. <laughs> Probably very entertaining, but gosh, it's got a weird plot. And me, I haven't even had time to watch the new Downton Abbey movie yet. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm finding, shockingly, I'm sure for everyone listening, that with new homeownership, I'm running out of time to do things that aren't house-related. Amazing how slipping. that happens, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about all that grass in the backyard I need to cut. And... Yeah. Mow that lawn. Your neighbors are getting up frustrated with you. One of them. This is entirely not on topic. They left a little houseplant on my porch as a housewarming gift and a welcome to the neighborhood. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So they're not complaining about my lawn yet. They're still trying <laughs> to be nice. So I think that's long enough for this podcast, don't you, Rebecca? I think we're doing pretty good, yeah. I think we'll wait. As we said earlier, we'll wait a couple of weeks to do Division 6, 7, and 8-man football. I hear rumors of a couple of teams that may cancel their schedule because they don't have enough players, or maybe they'll drop to eight-man football. So hopefully we'll have some updates by the time of our next podcast. Looks like we've got an exciting episode to record, maybe, in, in a couple of weeks. But until then, if you have any questions or comments about our presentation style or the data distribution or theories on why math works out the way it works out, you can email those to bdmonin at nktelco.net or submit them on Twitter to at Bruce Monin. It's another side note because apparently I don't talk to enough people at my work because I'm feeling very talkative today. I just started a new job, which means I had to do the frequent correction of telling my new boss that it is not in fact pronounced Monin. It is Monin. That is something you never had to worry about in Minster. Everyone knows. Not as common in in Cincinnati. Anyway, for more fun stories about my life updates and also football, you can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple iTunes store or iHeartRadio. You just search for Bruce Monin's computer points and it should pop right up. And to add on to your story there and let you know, there was a gentleman I went on vacation with every year to the World Board Gaming Championships. You know him well, Rebecca. Sure do. And I'm as a guest on the show here once. And about 12 years in, he was introducing me to someone and he introduced me as Bruce Monin, which he always said. And I had never bothered to correct him because I get tired <laughs> of doing so. And I corrected him at that time. So this new person would know it. And he was shocked to find out he'd been saying my name wrong for 12 years and I never corrected. So. I just don't know why anyone would go through life with the last name Monin if they could help it. My fifth grade 
social studies teacher, Mr. Carson Cheek, once handed a test back to me and said, you ought to be moaning after that grade. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tell your friends about all the fun facts about Minster names that they're missing by not listening to this podcast. Yes. And on that note, I believe it's time to sign off. (laughs) So long, everyone. (laughs) 